Welcome back to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode 10 of The Spider-Man Who Loved Me, a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. Every so often, we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark, and with me, as always, is my co-host and buddy, Brian. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Today, we are going to watch episode 10, I Saw the Tears of the Snake Woman in the Fires of Hell. I, this, <laughs> I, look, I know that the rest of the Sentai shows have some titles, but this entire program has... Hands down, the best titles. The best titles. Well, Brian, before we get into that, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. Would you like to know what the first star of the week is? I would like to know what the first star of the week is. This is another one of those last minute records. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I I definitely knew we were doing this before the car ride home after work today. <laughs> Yeah, we recorded this in, what's the present month? It's February, right? Yeah, February. It's so cold outside, Brian. It's, it's February of, of 2017. <laughs> I hope that, that things right. are looking good for us in the future. First star of the week, Brian, is a new EP. And I know I talk about music and specifically punk music a lot yes but look it's my brand i'm a 36 year old man i'm not i, I can't be wasting time developing new interests and hobbies <laughs> leading off strong closing off as much <laughs> of the audience as possible good good brand that's what happens i just i have like the five things i care about and i have to devote all of my energy to them i've got limited hobby bandwidth right. and i'm just tired all the time <laughs> yeah welcome to middle age <laughs> so so this EP is a cross-section of several of my interests. Hitting, I don't know, three of the five. I guess if I only have five, yeah. we're hitting a lot of five. Right. I mean, we'll try to uncover the other two and see if they're also in here, but let's go. So here we go. Interest number one, stand-up comedy. Right. This is not a comedy EP, but it is an EP by Jonah Ray, mm -hmm. noted stand-up comedian. Yes. Interest number two... Mystery Science Theater 3000. Of which he is the current host. Yeah, Jonah Ray hosts Mystery Science Theater 3000. I don't know how that happened, but that alone is already a gift to me. The fact that Mystery Science Theater is back in the world, it's hosted by a comedian I really love. We're already, I have drawn pocket aces or whatever that phrase is. I don't know cards. Yeah, I mean, pocket aces is, yeah, that's what you would want. Okay, I have drawn pocket aces already just on the fact that that thing exists in 2019. What would make it weirder? Okay, well, what if Jonah Ray, uh -huh. host of Mystery Science Theater, uh -huh. put out a punk rock album? Okay, that seems like a weird thing for him to do. You'd think it is if you didn't know that Jonah Ray actually started out as a punk rock musician before getting into comedy. I did not know that until this very second. And I'm wondering <laughs> why, when you vaguely pointed out that this thing existed earlier to me, you did not fill me in with that crucial piece of information. <laughs> so Jonah Ray played the drums in a number of punk bands. He uh he started out in the criminally under recognized Hawaiian punk market. 
I can't tell <laughs> if you are being tongue in cheek or if you deeply actually believe that on some level. <laughs> so Jonah Ray, host of Mystery Science Theater, putting out a punk album. Yes. It, Brian, this album is a cover album. Okay, it's a punk cover album by Jonah Ray. All right. Right. Here and and I know punk covers are cheap. That's what they're cheesy, they're fun. I yeah. like a good punk cover. I mean, album. I'll admit even I like a good punk cover. Yeah, it's fun. Here is what Jonah Ray is covering. Jonah Ray is putting out a five-song EP of Weird Al songs. Come again? Yeah. So you know Weird Al, famous parody musician who yes. takes other people's music and does funny things with it? Yes. Uh, if we're talking about criminal things, the fact that Weird Al is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is is criminal. For it's his, insane. His, his work is... and dedication to, frankly, um, probably outselling some of the people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at this point. Oh, yeah. And he's covered, what, 30 plus years of music now? Yep. And he writes originals as well, and right. they're fun and funny and musically impressive. Right. Jonah Ray has put together an EP covering Weird Al. There's, there is an original or two in there, but he's mm-hmm. also covering Weird Al parodies. So he's doing punk rock covers of Weird Al comedy covers of pop music. Are we in Inception now? Is this what that's like? <laughs> I, I haven't don't... seen that movie in a while, but I think this is exactly the scenario. <laughs> And here's the thing. One of them's out there already. You can go on the internet and look up Jonah Ray doing a sort of lo-fi minimalist punk cover of Amish Paradise. Is Coolio going to be cool with this? Because I feel like there was some beef (laughs) at the time that that originally happened. I think he's cool with it now. I mean, that is my my personal worry. Uh, (laughs) So I recognize that this is a project that has, almost by its nature, a pretty limited appeal. Yes, I believe one. <laughs> right. But that's the thing, is it is in the cross-section of all of my interests. You found the other two, then? <laughs> all right, Brian, what is our second star of the week? Our second star of the week is... so. In, in the nine episodes that we've done, I don't know if we've ever mentioned Movie Night. Uh, we've mentioned it on our podcast over in Mount Olympus, but Movie Night is where you, I, and friend of the show, Adam, get together nearly every weekend, and we watch a couple movies, and uh, we watch some British game shows and that sort of thing. Sure. And typically... Every year, there is a portion of the year where we're not watching random movies. We are watching them with a theme. Yeah, uh, we've, we've done, done James Bond. You know, we've, we've done Westerns. Westerns. We did Fast and Furious. Yes. Uh, we did. Uh, there was. Oh, we did the season of Statham. Oh, yeah. We watched all those Jason Statham. Movies. Right. I don't even think watching like 30 movies, we even made a dent in the catalog. <laughs> and speaking of catalogs that even watching, uh, let's see, we are up to mm, three, like 14 or 15 movies. Mm-hmm. We are now doing The Rage for Cage, which is oh, man. we we watch Nicolas Cage films exclusively during this period and let me tell you (laughs) it has been 
as strange an experience as as I could have anticipated. So I think this spun out of the community episode where Abed takes a class, Nick Cage, good or bad. I mean, that is part of it. And we have a category because we have decided like this, this much time in, we would actually keep spreadsheets where we rate these movies. We oh, rate yeah. the movie. We rate Nicolas Cage, good or bad. We give <laughs> Nicolas Cage personally an insanity ranking for the movie. Yep. And uh, we also track... Nicholas Cage's moments in the movies and a category that we had to introduce because out of the first five movies we watched, it happened in four of them. Air kicks. Yeah. Nicholas Cage loves kicking the air. I just kick in the air or jumping through the air and delivering a kick. It, yeah. it, it has happened in roughly <laughs> uh, slightly under half of the films we've watched so far. But, so this is counting jump kicks, but a lot of them are actually just him leaping into the air and kicking the air angrily. Right, because that's a thing that people do. Ah. Uh, but the the weird thing we have discovered is, yes, we have definitely seen Shades of Nicolas Cage, who wins awards and is recognized as a good actor. And we've also seen Shades of Nicolas Cage, who would take movies that even Michael Caine would turn down. Yeah, boy. And that, I just realized, there was also a movie, which was pretty good, that Michael Caine and Nicolas Cage were both in. That was The Weatherman. <laughs> that um, was. I, I didn't put that together until now. But, <laughs> and we also have movies that are bad movies where Nicolas Cage is doing his level best with what is absolutely terrible material. And honestly, like it's, it's, it's fun. We have seen a wide range of movies. We've seen a wide range of insanity. We've seen, um, the good or bad category. I believe every week is always one movie from going the other direction. Yeah. And we, it is, it is not an easy question because we forced it into a binary. Is Nick Cage good or bad in this movie? Right. And doggone it. If it's like 15 movies in, it's dead down the center. Yeah. And, and we have a three person panel. So, you know, sometimes you're on the one side of the good, bad. Sometimes you're on the other side of the good, bad. I mean, we have gotten into passionate arguments trying to convince each other about whether or not. For instance, Nick Cage's performance in Humanity Bureau represented a reasonable performance in a bad movie or a bad performance in a bad right. movie. The the key examples I have are you went, we, you counted Nick Cage as good in Humanity Bureau. Yep. It's good Nick Cage. It's still a bad movie. Uh, uh, whereas yeah. I went bad and we reversed that on Left Behind, which is also a terrible movie. And in not even terrible in the ways that you would expect it to be terrible. Like, it actually <laughs> yeah. kind of works as a not great disaster flick. And sure. yep. I felt that that, like, that crossed the line into, this is a good portrayal of a deeply uninteresting character. Yeah, so. that's the thing. Nick Cage, the rage for Cage, has great capacity for surprise. Right. Because going in, I would have anticipated Left Behind to be among the very worst of the movies that we right. watched. And don't get me wrong, yeah. it's a, it's going to end in like the bottom 10%. Right. I mean... But I'm, I expected that movie to be like a zero or a one, and it came in two to three-ish. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, 
what has surprised us with the consistency about good or bad is we put all of the movies Nick Cage is in into a spreadsheet and mm-hmm. we have a randomizer. So we are watching these movies with the exception of Sorcerer's Apprentice that I wanted to kick it off with and right. Firebirds that Adam insisted he wanted to put <laughs> us through. With the exception of those two movies, every other movie after that has been picked by the randomizer. It has. And we're still dead down the center, Nick Cage, good or bad. Yep. it's We don't have an answer. Right. And, and every movie is on there. So you could be watching Sorcerer's Apprentice or you could be watching Army of One or Ghost Rider or right. Moonstruck. And last week we went back to back on Face Off and Left Behind. That's yeah. a heck of a pairing. Yeah, really is. I sort of wish we would have watched Face Off second to wipe Left Behind away, but <laughs> that's fine. But uh, yeah, it is. It is as crazy as as one might expect with Nick Cage's very strange filmography that I sort of envy. And if I was a working actor, would like to go down the. Cage route or the Michael Caine route. The one where they do a bunch of movies because they like acting, not the Cage route where he also does a bunch of movies because he likes acting and also he's bad with money. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, that was that was a lot on Nick Cage. So what's, what's Star 3? Star 3, Brian. Let's talk about some punk rock. I... Mm. <laughs> I I had not thought this out, and I I even toyed with the idea of swapping the order just so it wasn't back-to-back on right. punk rock. Yeah. But here we are. You have known me for 18 years? Is that is that close? I is mean, right? we, we started college in the fall of 2001. It is almost the fall of 2019. 2017. Um, <laughs> sorry, I forgot our fiction that we recorded this not in. We pulled uh, that apart immediately by uh, talking about the release of Jonah Ray's album. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so it, it's, yeah, uh, 18 years at this point. <laughs> yeah, nearly half of my life. I am a 36-year-old man. Yeah. You have known me nearly half of my life. Right. If I posed you the question, Brian Cherry, who is my favorite band? Yeah. It's going to be Five Iron Frenzy, the band I heard a whole bunch of times in college. In college, after college, college. periodically in the carpool now. Right, yes. Five Iron Frenzy is a uh, ska, third wave ska outfit out of Denver, Colorado, who had a reasonably small footprint, but some staying power. They Mm -hmm. put out a number of albums over the years. They broke up for a bit when the band all got old and got jobs. And within the last five years or so, they kind of reunited and just do occasional gigs here and there, mostly for fun. They're a bunch of grown-ups who like to play music with their pals. For me, the reason this is a star is not to tell people about a small-time ska band out of Denver. Right. But because You do that on your own time. I do. I mean, I am a ska evangelist. Yeah. The- I, I don't know why. But here I am, the last rude boy. Yes, as Dave coined you 18 years ago. Still fighting that fight. (laughs) So Five Iron Frenzy just announced uh, a couple of shows with Mustard Plug and Mephiscopheles, two other very good ska bands. And one of them, Brian Cherry, is on October 12th in Philadelphia. Wait a minute. October 12th. Is that not the date of your birth? It is. Five Iron Frenzy's giving me a birthday concert, like two hours down the road. 
that's really the whole star. That's yeah. it. That's the whole star. My favorite band is playing a show on my birthday in the city closest to me. Congratulations. <laughs> what is star number four, Brian? Star number four was hypothetically any video game Brian is currently playing, which is <laughs> ridiculous because it's it's been some time of me just flitting around randomly at things. Um, I could talk about how finally after a few... This is years after XCOM 2, uh, The Chosen, like Expansion Pack or whatever came sure. out. I'm actually playing through that, but that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is a game that is a somewhat remake of an even older game that is also like not new or anything. And that is, um, it's a remake of the game Buzz Aldrin's race into space. What? So, okay. Okay. What? I guess first off, are you familiar with the game from like the nineties, Buzz Aldrin's race into space? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a game that you absolutely never landed on the moon because it was darn near impossible. Like I guess what you know. I actually, remember about yeah. Buzz Aldrin's Race into Space is a goofy newscaster thing, a really bad HUD display, yep. and it was one of the premier examples of getting deeply angry and rage quitting video games when I was 10, 11 years old. Oh yeah. I was horrible at that. Uh, Man, the number of times that like, Oh yeah, you're, there's just the general failure. There's nothing you can do about it. Like I couldn't have researched it more. I couldn't have had (laughs) like better trained staff. I couldn't have had better trained astronauts. And so I guess really it was like simulating NASA during the space race, (laughs) which is functionally like, yeah, there was nothing you could have done unless you knew these things, which were almost impossible to know. Uh, (laughs) I mean, there was, there was one time that I actually managed to put the Explorer satellite into orbit before Sputnik went up like once. (laughs) Wow. Now, granted that meant better than NASA. Yeah. Now I also would then go on. I'm like, maybe I can research all of this. What you quickly learn is no, your best bet is one, don't research all three capsules. You will never get enough research done and money and all of that. Like you need to choose. And you also like, if you actually want to win the space race, you got to take some risky gambles with components that you're pretty sure will fail. uh, And you got to hope that things go. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, there was a game released back in like 2013 which was Buzz Aldrin's Space Program Manager, or Space Program Manager. Yeah, and it is functionally an update of Race into Space. It is, one, (laughs) you could actually uh, complete it. Really, the goal isn't so much... I mean, you can beat the Russians easier there, but it's still real, real hard to actually put a man on the moon by the fourth quarter of... 1959 or 1969. Right. So uh, let me tell you, I almost did it. I almost did it. <laughs> and, and there was a failure on the return trip from the moon. Oh, I got them to no. the moon. I got them on. They're on the lander. They drove around in a rover. They got back <laughs> up and, and just the docking proceed. Oh, it just, it's <laughs> Tragedy just all, befell you. Oh, I was, I was so mad because was I, was there an in the news today? No, summary? they, 
like they they did not go the full 1990s full motion video uh, Carter <laughs> Walkright, which right. I I always felt good about that whole everything. It really added an era of authenticity. Uh, they have news like blurbs, but they do not okay. they do not have that, which I think is a is a major misstep. But it yeah. was nice to see that game, and I especially thought I would bring it up seeing as uh we're you know around that 50th anniversary of the moon landing yeah so yeah at least that's what they want you to believe oh Brian. don't don't even i will <laughs> i will punch you in the face like i'm buzz aldrin himself <laughs> all right so uh so what's this last star and god help me if this is somehow about punk music i <laughs> we're going to have words I don't think there's any way I can connect this one to punk music. I don't believe that for a second, but let's <laughs> let's go. This is the video game I am currently playing, which is Kingdom Hearts Rebirth by Sleep. None of those words make sense together. Nope. So we got Kingdom Hearts 3 about a month ago. My wife's a big fan of the Kingdom Hearts franchise. We've been meaning to pick it up for a while. We got it. And my wife looked at it for a minute and looked at me and she said, if we're going to play Kingdom Hearts 3, we're going to do this thing right. <laughs> and then she went onto the PlayStation Store and purchased the Kingdom Hearts everything bundle. Mm -hmm. So we are now playing through all of the Kingdom Hearts to earn the privilege to play <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> I mean, let me tell you, I know, I know that feel. Um, I'm, I need to get back to it. Because I'm like 75% of the way through two and I beat one. But I said to myself, before I should be allowed to play the FF7 remaster, mm. uh, well, remake when it comes out, what I should do is replay FF7. No, no, no. Replay all of the mainline non-MMO Final Fantasies, which... <laughs> that, that is an endeavor, my friend. I, I need to get back to it. I started it earlier. I beat one. I got 75% of the way through two. I need to pick it up again and get, get some momentum back. Because <laughs> also, they're doing their like high-def remake or whatever of FF8, which has the best set of characters in the entire everything. Selfie's the best overall of all FF characters. Come at me. I will fight you. Anyway, that is not what this that is not what this is about although it does tangentially connect because it does it's connect because selfie makes an appearance right because she should because she's the best <laughs> so birth by sleep was initially a game boy advance game that takes place immediately following the first kingdom hearts and i mean immediately it picks up at the exact sort of cinematic frame where the previous one left off mm -hmm. and at some point they gave it a an like a 3D HD remaster, so visually it looks like the first Kingdom Hearts now, instead of looking like a Game Boy title. But it is a card-based kind of combat system. So it's not a deck-versus-deck game exactly, but your combat engine is driven by the deck of cards that you build. So you collect, you know, powerful attack cards or powerful magic cards, whatever, and then you have so many points to build your deck with. It's exactly what you think it is. And it's fine. It's a little weird. It's not a great game, but it's it's fun. Mm -hmm. I am a sucker for deck building in almost any capacity. So. Oh, yeah. But this game, 
the conceit of this game is that you are you, the main character, Sora, the kid who is at the heart of the Kingdom Hearts story arc, are playing through your memories. So you're you're trapped in this mystical castle wherein you're sort of walking through your own memories, mm-hmm. but as you're doing it, you're also losing your memories. Wait, what? What is? I don't know. Wait. It does not make. I mean, I was going to say which which game is this again? Oh, this is Chain of Memories. I okay, said Birth by Sleep. Yeah, this is yeah. Chain of Memories. Okay, because I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute, you said Birth by Sleep, but this sounds like Memories, <laughs> and I know there's like Memory Chain 5000 or something among these games. Yeah, there's so many I, absurd names, but yeah, yeah. Even, even by Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy standards, the dialogue and meta-narrative of this game is just garbage nonsense it is hot <laughs> gobbledygook i mean is it is it i mean i presume that it has gone so far off the rails to be entertaining in its own like what is even going on here <laughs> oh yeah i have no idea what's actually happening there's a, a guy in a black and i i know a little bit because i'm aware of the meta story of right 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 yeah but there's a guy in a black robe that shows up and talks to me from time to time okay about how i have to forget to remember so that i can remember my memories oh yeah yeah that's uh that's how they did never-ending story part two right? <laughs> right that isn't how they did it in that movie and the less said about never-ending story part two the better i will also quickly note that Kingdom Hearts 1, which we just finished, and we've played together several times, Mm -hmm. but it's been a while and I had forgotten. It existed in a very specific era of Final Fantasy. And, I mean, you know when this game was made, so you can pin down the era, but I will describe it for you by saying it is the era wherein the final boss had about 97 forms. Ugh. We're we're talking... And I just kept getting more and more mad. I got to the final battle... I carefully managed my items, cleared through the battle, and then there were just more bat, like more final boss forms. And eventually, the final boss—I'm not kidding you—was a giant anthropomorphic dream ship in a never sea. Yeah, yeah, that makes just yep. with like the face of the boss. Yep, he's just a giant ship now because you know it's that era of Final Fantasy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not. I am not aware whether or not that era ever actually ended, really. Uh, I <laughs> Fair point. I mean, let's, like, six is a multi-stage final. <laughs> Five might be as well, now that I think. I, well, I'll be able to give you a full report. <laughs> yeah. I can remember that six was, as was seven, as was eight, nine, I think, I think nine may have not been a multi-stage boss as much as it was two different end bosses. Like there was an end, there was an end boss. And then there was, Oh, hidden behind this end boss is (laughs) some abstract concept that we, we decided to throw in at the very, very, very (laughs) end, like Necron or something. That's how this one went down. Uh-huh. It was both of those. So I'm fighting the final boss, yep. and then I'm fighting a secret final boss, which right. is just a big heartless, a right. giant yeah, yeah. monster thing. And then the final, first final boss comes back again with a demon that he's controlling. Right, yeah, sure. And then he turns into a giant memory space boat, and then he turns back into the final boss one more time. 
Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> By the time he hit spaceboat, and you'd think I would have remembered <laughs> anthropomorphic spaceboat. I mean, anthropomorphic spaceboat is uh, is the name of my Jefferson Starship cover band. <laughs> That's a good note. That's a good note to go out on. Right, it's time to take a break and watch episode ten of Spider Man, mm-hmm. and we will be right back. Change the apart. We are back, Brian. Is this still a children's program? I don't know. Is it just me or or is there a much higher body count uh, in these shows than we would ever allow on American television for children? I mean, for adults, we allow body counts left and right. But for children, it's uh, <laughs> it seems very, very high. Not only is there a high body count, but there is very, in several episodes, very specifically awful deaths. Yep. And we've got, I think, maybe a new, a new high water mark. Yeah. Well, I mean, water would have changed this situation, but yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, maybe. (laughs) You do remember that there was the band that was touring that was just gunned down on their bus. That's true. That is true. I forgot about the entire band. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this week opens with the narrator telling us about something called the Kitazawa Meteor Research Center, which is apparently located. It seems to suggest like oh, it's pretty high up on a mountain. Why would yeah. you why would you have your meteor research center located probably the farthest distance from where you're going to be getting those meteors? You know, Brian, you got to get as close to the sky as you can. But they're going to go right past you and end up down in the valley. That's that's what happens to meteors. So we are told the uh, Kitazawa Meteor Research Center is on Mount Hakuja. Mm-hmm. What we see is just sort of a nicely apportioned suburban home on the mountains. Yeah. This is something that I haven't actually thought about till now. Is the narrator telling us that this is definitely a research center? Because everyone else treats it like it's just a house and there definitely isn't a secret research center. Right. Everyone is shocked to discover a research center under there. The narrator knows. Maybe the Iron Cross (laughs) Army should talk to him. We open the episode after the narrator fills us in on the research center. Mm Mm-hmm. On three dudes driving up the mountain in a deep fog, my notes say they are trying to start an episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it does look at first. Like, it just looks like, oh, these are going to be poor saps who are lost and they're driving in spooky times. I wish that was the case because these are actually three bad dudes. Yeah, like, this man. They are also driving around in spooky times, but they're the first thing they do is walk up to the building and like, let's break in. It doesn't seem like anyone's here. I can't figure, are they are Jade just cruising for breaking and entering? Is that... Because <laughs> it does seem like they got lost when they ended out here, and they don't indicate like, oh, we need to find a place for the night or anything. They just seem like, well... I guess we're rob this place. Yeah, these are just three hooligans, I think. Yep. Out cruising for hooligan activity. I guess. Um, At first, it seems like they're just three kind of goofy high school buddies. Right. They're driving up a foggy mountain. They're kind of joking with each other. And then they say, "It's, it's getting foggy. Let's pull off at this house. 
and see if maybe we can stay here until the fog clears. Yeah. And as you say, when no one answers the door, they immediately go about trying to break in. Right. Badly. I don't know why. So they're taking what looks to be a rock and trying to force the door with it. But this is a door right. with a lot of a lot of windows. Like, why? Yeah. Why did you not throw the rock through the window and reach in? You had already decided you are breaking into this house, and also you think no one's here, and clearly no one is here for 30 miles, so. Right, he picked up a rock. Okay, I know where we're going. He's breaking in. Great, sure. Very obviously, he's going to, as you say, break the glass to let himself in. Now, he's going to try to use a medium-sized stone as a pry bar, yeah, it's, uh, look, these these guys are not, they're not winners. No, but they are, as they're sort of trying to get in, they are greeted by a young woman in a robe holding a single candle. What I write is, woman who is totally not a ghost lives here. <laughs> I also initially thought she was a ghost. And it doesn't help that her first lines of dialogue are a stilted delivery. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, my father has gone away. Yeah. Yeah. Here's where I thought ghost or vampire. Sure. Yep. Definitely had some vampire vibes. I mean, we're, we're definitely in an undead territory. And these three dudes who were a moment ago joshing with each other and right. worried about their safety on the side of the mountain immediately do what I will call creepy guy calculus. Yep. Yeah, these uh, these three gentlemen who you know are going to turn into the first victims of whatever because, obviously, right. they turn very quickly into uh, normal guys, into very unsympathetic victims. Yeah, just... Just instantly hit that sexual predator switch. Yep. Like, oh, there's a young single woman home alone here in the dark. Well, we know what that means. Yeah. What they find out that it means is she's not a ghost, but she briefly turns into like a saber tooth monster that turns into a Medusa. I don't know why there are two phases to this. There's actually three. There's a badly kind of mangled face. To Sabretooth Tiger, to Medusa. I would argue that it's closer to a Naga than a Medusa because there's no stone gaze. Oh, that's true. That's that is a fair distinction. But she's (laughs) she's like a weird uh, green snake s monster. Yes. And we get kind of a quick cut. So that we don't see her, whatever, however she's attacking them. Right. I presume, like, oh, she just killed those guys. And then it's, oh, she didn't kill those guys. She's driving along in a car to where we quickly go to, oh, she's just killing those guys elsewhere. Somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. With the classic brick on the gas pedal trick. Yep. And that car just drives right over the cliff and explodes as all cars do. Yeah, this is maybe to date, I think, the longest open we've had without Takoya slash Spider-Man in it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also an opening that doesn't have what seems to be anyone from the Iron Cross army. We just have 
a creepy snake girl who yeah. sends people to their deaths. We cut from there to a news headline that says, you know, three guys were out driving in the fog, got lost, drove off the edge of the cliff. Very convenient cover. Yep. And very believable, right? That mountain was yeah. foggy. Yeah, sure. That sounds believable. And Takoya is reading the news over breakfast while talking to his sister, Shinko, mm-hmm. and to his younger brother, Takuji. Is that right? I think that's right. And Shinko is observing that things have been weird up on Mount Hakuja for a while now. Some hikers have died. There was another car wreck somewhere. There's been a sequence of misfortune up here. Yeah. Everyone goes up that mountain to die. And she recalls that their father, Mm -hmm. who you may remember from the pilot episode, uh died in the sort of initial Iron Cross invasion is not quite the right word. Appearance, we'll say. Appearance, yeah. So their dad, Dr. Yamashiro, was a high-profile astronomer who accidentally kind of stumbled onto the Iron Cross army. He got killed. And Shinko says, hey, I remember dad's journals had something about Mount Hakuja. Maybe some radiation or something. Right. Because isn't isn't she secretly, like, almost a scientist? Yeah, we learn in a previous episode that she has been sort of doing work with, I think, the remains of her father's scientific team at the university. Right. Well, someone has to earn a paycheck here, and it isn't Spider-Man. <laughs> right. He's not raking in the big bucks with his part-time motocross, motocross. <laughs> No. So she goes to fish out the journal, and as she's reading, she's sort of reminiscing because her father had been working with a doctor named, or I'm sorry, a professor named Mm -hmm. Kitazama. Yep. And the journal that she was, this specific journal that she was referencing was about the work they were doing together. Right. And kind of among the last entries of the journal, just a a month or two before their dad died, were some notes about someone stealing a meteorite from the research facility. Yep. And then she remembers how, I think it seems to be implied, but never outright pointed out that... She has a friend there who may be the daughter or assistant of... It's it's the daughter, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Of that scientist. You're right. So that later on, we'll see that they were all friends before. But right. in this scene, it doesn't really do a great job of threading that idea together. Right. Because but- it's, oh, she, she needs to go visit her. And, oh, no, uh, what we learn is her... Her friend from youth, and that youth is apparently last summer, uh, right. is, yeah, it's it's our, our snake lady who yeah. definitely just sent a bunch of kids off to their, I mean, <laughs> bad kids, but, you know, uh, definitely sent them to their deaths. So, yeah, that's that's who last year's best friend is. Ah. Uh, she, she's the snake lady. So last summer or thereabouts... Th- their father kicked off this sort of joint scientific endeavor with Professor Kitazama. Mm -hmm. And through the course of that summer, they all became pals. Yep. 
They haven't seen her in a while, so Shinko says, I really ought to go visit her. It'll let me kind of investigate this thing anyway, and it'd just be good to check on my old friend, whose name I think was Shimako. Yes, uh, Shimako. Again, we saw a little bit of Takoya here, but not mm-hmm. much. This remains, up to this point, a Spider-Man light episode. Right, and I I would in some ways say that even though it gets more Spider-Man heavy, you have to wonder if this is secretly a Takoya light episode, like overall. Yes, I think it is. So, uh, yeah, he's just kind of nodding and, um, yeah, sure, go go visit that friend of yours. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going. So there's some dramatic tension here because we, the viewer, know that her friend is the snake woman. Yep. But Shinko is not yet aware of that. And she's just kind of puttering around the first floor of her friend's home, pointing out confusing things. Yep. Why do you have a fire going in the middle of summer? (laughs) Right. Uh, Because, you know, apparently she gets cold. Um what is this strange necklace you seem to be wearing that you definitely pull back when I try to inspect it? Uh, Why are all of your curtains closed in the middle of the day? Right, yeah. Um, but that just turns into suddenly a pajama party, so. Yeah, it is a very awkward reunion at first because Shinko is effectively just wandering around this lady's house saying, what are you, dumb? Yeah. Yeah, but that's okay. We transition out of awkwardness by, oh, let's have it be seven hours later playing cards at night. Yeah, apparently in somewhere in the transition, they decided to have a sleepover poker night. I guess. I Maybe? And while they're doing that, and initially it feels like, oh, they're kind of reestablishing their friendship. Right. The snake woman busts out that famous snake skill of knockout breath. Yeah. You know, I mean, in XCOM too, like snake people have poison that they can spit in like a cloud. So it's probably a similar principle. Yeah. Good. So she just, she breathes into Shinko's face Yep, and Shinko passes out. Yep. Goes to, goes to sleep. I mean, Thankfully, they were already in the bedroom, so she just falls asleep on a bed. So that's convenient. Yeah, true. (laughs) She just wakes up a little bit later. Her friend's gone. She goes looking for her. And I guess when she couldn't find her in the first two floors, checks out the basement. Right. It's like, huh, I didn't know there was a secret basement lair down here. I'm going to definitely investigate all of this while I'm still groggy and I'm just wandering around a house that I don't know. (laughs) Why does this basement look like a terrifying villain's lair in a cave? Yeah, I bet I should investigate some more. (laughs) And she finds her friend who is now turning into a snake woman. Or yes. has already turned into a snake woman, perhaps. Yep. Uh, starting to, and eventually, yeah. And she, she gets, like, a bite in the neck or whatever. Right. While this is ongoing, Takoya wakes up from a bad dream. And at first, I wrote, spider senses. Yeah, maybe. Then I, But then he starts saying, like, oh, I had a this dream that my sister was being attacked by a snake and I was like oh okay maybe not spider senses maybe this is just some weird premonition right but then he gets up and boldly declares 
my it basically boldly <laughs> declares spider senses yep to dispel any doubts I had, he just shouted spider senses into his giant bracelet. Speaking of that giant bracelet, did you notice, because this is the first time I think we have ever seen for half a second the bracelet closed before he opens it. Did you notice, emblazoned on the top, it says Spider-Man? <laughs> I did not. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but he wears that thing everywhere. He yeah. wears a giant bracelet that is about the size of your fist that says Spider-Man. <laughs> He's just a big fan. Brian. I just, <sighs> I saw that and I had to rewind <laughs> because I was like, wait a minute. No, that did, that didn't say Spider-Man. That's too ridiculous. Nope. Absolutely. hundred sure percent. Yep. So he uses his bracelet to summon the GP7. Yep. And this is where we finally see, albeit briefly, the Iron Cross army. Yeah. Because Professor Monster has a quick exchange with the Amazonists where he says, Spider-Man's sister has now seen our secret plans. We need to make sure she gets dead. Yep. Go take care of that. The Amazonist just strolls into the basement and delivers that order to the Snake Woman. Yep. I still do not understand where the Iron Cross lair is, especially in relation to every other building in Japan, because I it still, feels like they just stroll in and out of everywhere. I, sw- I always felt that it was in space. I'm not clear. I'm hoping <laughs> at the end of the series, they storm that base and we get a sense of where it is. <laughs> So, Snake Woman turns out not super creative with her homicide. No, I feel I feel like eventually the cops are going to catch on where they're like, huh, 17 cars have gone over this embankment. Like, maybe somebody should do something about that. <laughs> Why are all these bricks here in these exploding cars? Because at a certain point, she's just going to be crashing cars one on top of the other. Yeah, there's just going to be a pile. Yeah. Uh, if if we weren't clear enough, it's the exact same thing that she did to the other guys. She was yep. definitely going to send uh, Shinko over a cliff. Uh, but Spider-Man arrives in time to save the day, throws a big car-catching web, and yep. <laughs> saves his sister. <laughs> he has a little bit of trouble opening the car door. Seriously, like I <laughs> I looked at that and this is this is definitely why no, this show this is one take. One take only. That's all you yep. get. So, Spider-Man's going to take his sister to the police hospital. Right. Why is the police hospital a thing? Uh I don't it, know. It seems to apparently suggest that it's a super secret hospital, which okay. Um, I'm not even sure why we're even bothering to set that up because we're going to undo that immediately. But, like, do the police have their own hospital? If so, this is a civilian. I <laughs> I don't understand what a police hospital is. I think because I believe it has come up in other media uh-huh. that I have consumed. I think there is just – I think there is a hospital in Tokyo called, like, the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Hospital. Okay. So maybe that's what they're talking about. All right, sure. Let's give that to them. (laughs) At 
any rate, Spider-Man puts his sister there. Mm-hmm. He's going to keep it a, a secret, he says to himself. Right. And while he is doing that, the Amazonist shows up to have words with the Snake Woman. Right, because the Snake Woman did not succeed at what was otherwise a pretty straightforward task. I say have words, I mostly mean have slaps. Yeah, it's like seven slaps in a row, like a martial arts slap move, that kind of... Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we learn that the Snake Woman, unlike all of the other monsters that we've seen so far is not a willing participant in this endeavor. No. And, like, it's not even clear, like, did... Was she turned into this by the meteorite? Is this even an Iron Cross Army thing? Or is this, like, nope, we accidentally accidentally created some mutants and then we enslaved them? It felt... Honestly, it felt more like they stumbled on this mutant girl and took control of her. Yeah. Because as you point out, all of the other ones they've created, right. and they have they have they have not had to do this with, and that's what we learn that's what the necklace is for. It somehow subdues her and forces her to follow orders. It seems like it works as a strangulation device. Like, hey, yeah. uh, you will do what I say, or else that necklace is just going to tighten around your neck, and you won't be able to breathe. So, yeah, that's a that's a good clarification. It is not a mind control device. It is just a death-threatening device. Yeah. All right. Back to the hospital. Briefly. And we see that Shinko is resting. So Takoya goes home. And his girlfriend Hitomi shows up to lecture him for not being present in the hospital with his sister. Which is a pretty fair point for Hitomi to make right well it's it's not just lecturing from him for that but also lecturing that every time a bad thing happens to someone he he puts on extreme cool guy face is like "Eh, it's fine sure sure my 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 dad died and uh sure my sister was almost killed by like evil snake venom or whatever but yeah no it's cool things are cool um because as as we have pointed out uh, he might be a decent Spider-Man, but he is a terrible brother and boyfriend. <laughs> he sure is. And they are interrupted by the Snake Woman back in her human form. Right. Who shows up and asks Takoya how his sister's doing. She says, hey, she was at my house. This is kind of my fault. I should have been paying attention better. I'm really sorry about this. Can I go see her? And Takoya, 12 seconds after taking his sister to the top secret police hospital is, uh, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Let's go to that secret hospital. Yeah. Poor simple Takoya just has his head turned by a pretty girl. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Despite the fact that his girlfriend is literally right there and his younger brother looks at his girlfriend and just kind of shakes his head disapprovingly. Again, he is a bad boyfriend. And the thing is, like, it's not that any of that is generally Spider-Man related because you never see him struggle with, oh, I can't, I have to keep this secret and not reveal it to the people closest to me or there could be, they could be in danger. He's just real bad about having proper feelings at any moment. 
So he heads off. They get to the hospital and find out that his sister is still sleeping. Yep. So they just go for a walk and talk to catch up. Right. And in his defense, we do see, I think, while his reaction in the previous scene indicated like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do what the pretty girl is asking. Yeah. We do see that he is very much interacting with her as an old friend. Yes. Um, They briefly see. I guess a couple that has come from couples tennis or whatever, which right. triggers a strange tennis flashback. Yeah. So uh, Shimako remembers a time last summer when she and Takoya and Shinko were all playing tennis together. Right. This is where I've written down. I know about your bouncy cheerfulness from last summer. <laughs> right. Uh, so she was a obviously a very different person in the flashback instead of the sort of subdued, reserved, quiet girl. She is a much more kind of cheerful, ebullient, outgoing. Right. And who also like memory... fractures her ankle during this memory. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. this memory is weird because I wrote down. Sexy tennis flashback. It's not really a sexy tennis flashback, but I feel like someone in a first draft of this thought, like, this is probably going to set up some yeah. some emotional connection. And what it does set up is she hurt herself during tennis, and Takoya went over and basically looked at her ankle. Yes. It, it doesn't get into any depth of emotion beyond that. It doesn't. It doesn't establish like, and that's where they secretly fell for one another or anything. It's just a really odd way to end a flashback memory that could have just been, do you remember when we had fun, but turns into, do you remember when I shattered my leg? Right. It is definitely supposed to be an anchor point to remind her, I care about these people. Yeah. But it is very oddly delivered. At any rate, she has this flashback. She is very clearly feeling some guilt and unable to deal with the profound guilt of putting her good friend in the hospital. Right. She just sort of runs off. Yep. Unfortunately for her, it seems like she doesn't have a whole lot of control over snake her. Right. Yeah. Because she is going to dress herself up as a nurse and sneak back into the hospital just later that night. Right. So again, in world of unsympathetic protagon- or, uh, victims, the first, like the nurse at the waiting station, she probably didn't need to, but she definitely bites her neck and presumably poisons her. The thing yeah. about that nurse, that nurse was sleeping at that desk. True. Yep. <laughs> uh, and also news- a SAP security guard also gets, you know, snaked. Oh, yeah. There, she's, she is very good at infiltration. Yeah. The good news here is that Spider-Man anticipated this move and was hanging out in the hospital room. Yep. Uh, hanging out in the hospital room that was on the chart, which is not the actual hospital room where his sister is. Right. It was just a hospital room where he was waiting with some freezing gas. Yeah, freezing gas. Yeah. He, he put together a lot of things very quickly about, oh, this is a reptile monster, which absolutely must function like normal reptiles, despite the fact that this, like, Naga creature is not anything that you should have been able to recognize. No, nope, freezing gas. 
It does not work. She gets away. Yeah. I mean, it works to drive her out of the building and send her through the window. And his sister starts kind of just a little bit waking up. She mouths the name Shimako in her sleep. And Spider-Man kind of lip reads and puts all of the pieces together. My thing is, wait a minute, you set up that other thing and you had not put this together? Right. He, I guess, just was anticipating an attack. I guess. I. <laughs> well, I it mean, is if he weird was... because when she ran off in the previous scene, he was definitely suspicious. Right. He looked at her. He, like, crinkled his brow. He narrowed his eyes and he said, boy, she's sure acting different. Yeah. But at no point... Did it even occur to him then that, oh, wait, there's a very logical <laughs> right. reason for this. So now that he knows what's up, he hops in the GP7. He drives to the resource, or I'm sorry, the research center. Right. Goes down to the basement and discovers the, I guess, the lab, whatever, the, yep. the actual research center. And looks around and says, huh. It looks like they are building an ultra-long-range space gun using that piece of meteorite. So, putting aside any of the science behind it. <laughs> it's all what? very good science. So, so, Okay, so it's an ultra-long-range space gun. I have a number of questions. One, <laughs> oh, are, are we saying it's a gun that shoots ultra-long-range into space? Is it a gun that you mount on a spaceship that suits right. ultra long range. Uh, what, what long ranges are we talking about? Are we talking like it can shoot an ICBM from, you know, Russia to the United States? Or are we talking about, you can hit Pluto from here. Right. I no no idea. No, it's just hypothetically. Oh, it's an ultra long range space gun. Right. I guess they must have had the name on the blueprint somewhere because at no point has this particular Spider-Man ever suggested to us that he could look at blueprints no. and figure out what that is. His sister got the science knowledge in the family. Right. Yes. My next note says Professor Kitazawa is dead and also a skeleton. Yep. I mean, they left his lab coat on, which is a nice touch, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so he could read the, you know, the plastic name badge. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also seems to have trouble, like, looking at that body, seeing the name badge. It's like, did the pro- was the professor killed? I'm like, it looks pretty much like it. I <laughs> mean, a skeleton wearing should, his lab coat. You should probably it. work under that presumption uh, unless you want to do some DNA testing. <laughs> so he goes a few rooms over. He finds the Amazonist and the snake woman. And he does his big Spider-Man reveal. Right. With that he's an emissary from hell, which I, I'll be honest, if we could get the Tom Holland Spider-Man in at least one of these movies <laughs> to say I'm an emissary from hell, or even better, have a live action like multi-universe Spider-Man where Takoya Spider-Man jumps through and tells us he's an emissary from hell, <laughs> I that would really make my Spider-Verse, let me tell I you. I will tell you this. I believe Takoya... Toei Spider-Man does show up in the comic Spider-Verse. Oh, I am aware that that does happen, yes. So there's hope for it in a Spider-Verse sequel. Hope springs eternal. (laughs) They end up in a short fight that somehow results in Spider-Man getting chained to the wall. Uh, Chained to like a rock in the middle of the room because apparently they have magic locking chains there. Yeah. 
it doesn't look like a trap that you could set off, but apparently it does. Uh, I mean, this Spider-Man couldn't open a door, so I think we should not be surprised that he can't just break those chains. Right. So the so the Amazonist is standing in front of Spider-Man and ordering the Snake Woman to finish the job. Yep. And the Snake Woman, like all Snake Women do, yep. uses the spider... No, I'm sorry, not spider. Uses the snake hand that she has. Right. And I don't mean the hand of a snake. I mean the hand which is a snake. Yep. To spit fire. Yeah, as all snakes do. Yeah. And for a minute, it looks like she's going to spit fire at Spider-Man. I mean, she does spit a bit of fire at Spider-Man. But she has a moment where she is able to wrest control of herself and instead she uses the fire to what i think is supposed to be melt the chains that are binding him right which let me tell you i bet if that was hot enough to do that then spider-man wishes she would have come to that moment of conscience about 12 seconds earlier (laughs) but in actuality it just sort of breaks those chains yeah well you know that's that's snake fire for you and she attacks the Amazonist, chasing her away. And then, and then we get to, man, no one in this universe ever really gets a happy ending. No. Boy, I mean, we've had, like, oh, my old friend didn't die, and it turns out he's sort of coming back. But, oh, no, there's more tragedy. Yep. And we've had the band bus trap. We've had a lot of tragedy. I mean, this episode started out with Spider-Man's dad dying, which admittedly, that sort of thing is crucial to the That's crucial to all Spider-Man. Right. But this snake woman looks Spider-Man in the eye and says, effectively, I can't live like this. I'm going to have to keep doing evil things. You know, I am under their control. Yep. I am going to end this. And then she immolates herself yep just lights herself right on fire uh acknowledges that she definitely knows that spider-man is takoya um yep as everyone apparently does at, at the point where the monsters all know like maybe you might as well tell your family because the villains all know who you are <laughs> but yeah she just she just burns herself to death in her snake form there and is no giant snake. Mo- yeah there's no giant snake monster this week. There's no make my monster grow. There is just nope. this monster lights herself on fire and dies. And there's not like the hint of a fire and then a cutaway. Nope. We get to see her charred corpse. Yep. <laughs> and that's not even quite the end of the episode. No, because apparently that space gun, like... They uh they must have just been packing up the stuff to file it, because that space gun was 20 minutes from being operational when we got here today. Yeah. Yeah, they, they are preparing to fire now. The I, good news is, it is no problem for Marveler. Look, we don't even have to bring Leopard on into this. Marveler does one, like, bombing run yeah. and blows the ever-living expletive deleted out of the space gun. <laughs> like... Seriously, I, I'm not sure anything has blown up on this show as much as that space gun. <laughs> this was a badly constructed space gun. Seriously, the Death Star, at least you had to hit, you know, an <laughs> exhaust port. They just fight like Marvel takes one pass. Everything explodes. 
<laughs> it's it's like this this entire facility was made out of cars that get pushed over cliffs. And then he swears the episode ends with him swearing to avenge Shimako's death. Right. After he briefly sees like a vision which means she was a ghost all along. Yep. Yeah. And his list of deaths to avenge <laughs> Grow pretty long at this he's, point. He's doing a real poor job at avenging these deaths. <laughs> yeah, maybe let's get into the prevention business. Well, that's the thing. Like, he acts purely reactionary. I think in the first few episodes <laughs> of the show, he would go out and hunt the Iron Cross army. But yeah. now, now he just kind of waits around for them to kill somebody he loves. <laughs> Swears revenge and then waits until next week. We also get a to-be-continued, and I don't know what that actually means, because the Spider-Man movie, which is actually just another regular length episode that they screened in a movie theater, that happens next, and I don't think that's where we continue from, so I think this is more of a general (laughs) to-be-continued. Yeah. Spider-Man's story is not done yet. No, no. There there is still about 30, 32. One thirty-two episodes to go, somewhere in there. Yeah, we are about a quarter of the way through this show, Brian. Yep, because Spider-Man does not last uh, 52 episodes. No. All right, I think that's going to do it for us. Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a fine place to end. <laughs> so before we finish up, we will remind you, as we always do, that if you want to talk to the show, you can email us at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at supersentibros. You can find Brian on Twitter at Mount Olympus. You can find me on Twitter at RO Radio. You can check out those places to get any updates on future episodes, to learn more about the show and the other shows in our network. Right. If you like the show... And every podcast says this, but it's true. Rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform that you use. That sort of thing helps drive the visibility of the program so other people can find it. Right. They can experience the joy that we do. (laughs) The Super Sentai Buddies is a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Buddies. I'm Mark. I'm Brian. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth. Spider-Man.